0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Matt, and this is a very special episode because Christmas is right around the corner. Maybe you're listening to this during Christmas, after Christmas. I don't know. It should be Christmas all the time. Hooray for Christmas, everybody. I love Christmas because it's a time where we get to reflect and think about the amazing thing that God did to become a man to come as a baby, to save all of us from our sins. And so this is going to be a shorter podcast, but I just wanted to go over some of the things that come up during Christmas time when you're trying to share your faith with people who who don't necessarily believe. And it's often hard during Christmas because you have all these other magical things that people are talking about, like this man in a red suit flying around in a magic sleigh with reindeer. And so people take that side of Christmas and they equate it to the story of Jesus being the same thing, just fairy tale, this magic baby that came to the earth. And that's not the case. Today I want to talk about the historical fact of Jesus, the historical fact of his birth. But before we go into his birth, I want to talk about the Bible and its authenticity and its authority as a historical document. So there's two main arguments against the Bible. The first argument is that it's not accurate. A lot of the times people use um, this example to try to discredit the Bible, they use the telephone game. I don't know if you've ever played that before. It's where you all sit in a circle with your schoolmates and then you have a phrase and then one person starts the phrase, they they whisper it into the next person's ear. And then that person whispers that phrase into the next person's ear. And by the time you get to the end of the circle, the phrase is completely different than how it started. This is actually a very bad comparison because the historical reliability and accuracy of scripture is a mystery that attests to the sovereignty and the power of God to preserve his words. To scholars, it's mind-boggling. The Bible is more historically reliable than any other ancient manuscript. This is fact. This has been studied. And considering the reliability of scripture, you have to consider that the oldest complete Hebrew Old Testament dates to around 1000 AD. So that's very late. Since the last Old Testament book Malachi was written around 433 to 424 BC. So with such a huge interval between the original and the copies, it would appear that the critics and the unbelievers could have a great argument against the Bible's reliability. After all, how can we trust copies that were written 1,400 years after the original, right? Seems like a good argument. However, in 1947, an Arabian shepherd boy wandered into a cave in the Middle East and stumbled upon hundreds of manuscripts. These were the oldest Hebrew Old Testament fragments ever discovered. And these date back to around 250 BC to 68 AD. And they include not only portions of the Old Testament chapters, but whole books. And these manuscripts, you might have heard of them, were called the Dead Sea Scrolls. What makes this story even more amazing is the fact that those early copies are 98% textually pure. The 2% where there's questions have something to do with commas or abbreviations. It has nothing to do with the content. The Bible is the most historically accurate book on the planet. That is a fact. It's the most historically accurate ancient book. And there are two tests to the validity of any ancient text. So number one is the number of original copies. Number two is the amount of time between the copies from the original to the next copy. So when anyone questions the validity of the Bible, just ask them, well, what's the second most historically accurate book on the planet other than the Bible? And if they have no idea and they have no interest in knowing what it is, then they're, they're actually not interested in history they just refuse to believe the truth. So here are the facts. The Bible has 5,600 original copies. The first copy was made less than 100 years from the original manuscript. So 5,600 in 100 years. The second most historically reliable ancient book, according to textual criticism, Is Homer's Iliad. It was written around 750 BC, yet the earliest copies, and there's 1,900 that exist, date from 415 BC. This makes a time gap of approximately 335 years. So the Bible, 5,600 copies, 100 years, Homer's Iliad, 1,900 copies, 335. So let's look at some more ancient texts. Herodotus Histories was written around 425 BC. The earliest copies were from 150 to 50 BC, so 275 to a 370 year time gap, with 106 existing copies. Another was the Writings of Caesar on the Gallic Wars, written around 50 BC. The earliest copies are from 900 AD, so a 950-year time gap with around 261 existing copies. And then you have the writings of Aristotle, 49 original copies within a 1400-year gap. And then Plato's writings, seven original copies over a 1,200-year period. But let me ask you this, when have you ever heard anyone question the validity of Caesar's writings or the writings of Plato, or the Iliad. The Bible is the the book that's attacked. Looking at the New Testament alone, there are books with a time gap of 50 to 150 years. Within a time frame of 225 years, there are over 5,600 Greek manuscripts. Within 400 years, there are over 19,000 manuscripts in Syriac, Latin, and Aramaic. There are over 24,000 manuscripts of the New Testament, all within 97 to 99% accuracy of each other. The Old Testament has over 42,000 manuscripts. The Bible as a whole has more manuscript evidence than any 10 pieces of ancient literature combined. And even more than that, even if we did not have any ancient New Testament manuscripts, It was so often quoted by ancient writers that by simply combining those excerpts from those ancient writers, the entire New Testament can be pieced together. And one of the last things that people say when they're attacking scripture is that it's all allegorical or it's myth. And they look at stories like David and Goliath or Jonah, and they say that didn't actually happen. So how can we trust that the Bible is real? And Jesus has been one of the most famous people in all of history. He confirmed the validity of scripture. He fulfilled the prophecies that were written about him hundreds of years before his arrival on earth, prophecies that would have been impossible for anyone else. And then as for you, the Christian, if you have your own doubts about the validity of scripture, like Jonah or Elijah calling fire down from heaven or the sea splitting for Moses... Let me ask you this. You believe that a virgin gave birth to the son of God who took your sins and died on a cross and was raised to life again, then ascended to heaven where you will live with God for all eternity one day. It's Christmas. Think about it. You believe that. Number one, that a virgin gave birth. You believe that. But the story of a teenage boy fighting a giant or a man being swallowed by a sea creature is somehow fantasy. Just, just sit with that for a minute. And let's look at some of those prophecies that I mentioned before. I can't go through all of them because the podcast would take days. But Jesus fulfilled so many prophecies. Here, here are just some about his birth. I'm just going to give you a, a, a scripture reference and what the prophecy is. Genesis 22:18. 18, all the nations will be blessed through Abraham's offspring. Numbers 24, 17, Jesus will be from the line of Jacob. Isaiah 11, verse 1, Jesus will be from the line of Jesse. Jeremiah 23, 5 through 6, Jesus will be from the line of David. Micah 5, verse 2, Jesus will be born in Bethlehem. Isaiah 7, verse 14, Jesus will be born of a virgin. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, a child will be born and the government will be on his shoulders. Psalm 72, verse 10, Jesus will be worshipped and given gifts at his birth. Jeremiah 31, 15, King Herod would murder children in an attempt to kill Jesus. Hosea eleven, verse 1, Joseph would be warned to take Jesus to Egypt for a time to protect him. There are over 351 prophecies. Some theologians and scholars say that there's almost 500. But there's all these prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in scripture. From the time of the book of Isaiah being written to the point of Jesus' birth, that was a 700-year gap. This wasn't just a really good guess for the next two years. This wasn't a cheap prophecy from a con artist, fake prophet watching the news and simply reading into what the future may hold. And the reason why prophecy is an indication of the divine authorship of scripture and a testimony to the trustworthiness and the validity of scripture is because of the minute probability of fulfillment the probability of it coming to pass, of it actually happening. Anyone can make predictions. Having those prophecies fulfilled is way different. The more statements made about the future and the more detail you put into that statement, the less likely the precise fulfillment will be. Think of it like this. The likelihood of a person predicting today in the exact city of which a future leader would be born in well into the 22nd century. That's what the prophet Micah did 700 years before Jesus, or the likelihood of predicting the precise death that a new religious leader would experience a thousand years from now, a form of execution that's presently unknown and that will remain unknown for hundreds of years. They didn't know what crucifixion was when they wrote this. But this is what David did in 1000 BC. Again, what is the likelihood of predicting the specific date of the appearance of some great future leader hundreds of years in advance? That's what Daniel did, and that was 530 years before Jesus. You can't just arrange these things on your own and make them happen. You can't arrange what family line you're going to be born into. You can't arrange the city that you'll be born into. You can't arrange your clothes being gambled over during your execution. You can't pre-arrange someone to betray you for a specific amount of money. You can't arrange being raised from the dead. It would be impossible for a simple human to arrange just a handful of these things. And there was a professor at Westmont College, and he actually calculated the probability of one man fulfilling the major prophecies made concerning Jesus. And the estimates were worked out by 12 different classes representing some 600 university students. The students carefully weighed all the factors, discussed each prophecy at length, and examined the various circumstances, which might indicate that some men had conspired together to fulfill a particular prophecy. And they made their estimates conservative enough so that there was a unanimous agreement, even within the most skeptical of students. However, the professor took their estimates and made them even more conservative. He also encouraged all other skeptics and scientists to make their own estimates to see if his conclusions were more than fair. Finally, he submitted his figures for a review to a committee of the American Scientific Affiliation. And upon the examination, they verified that his calculations were dependable and accurate in regards to the specific material presented. So for example, with Micah 5, verse 2, where it states the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem, the professor and his students determined the average population of Bethlehem from the time of Micah to the present. Then they divided it by the average population of the earth during that same time period. And they concluded that the chance of one man being born in Bethlehem at that time was one in 300,000. So then after examining only eight different prophecies. They estimated that the chance of one man fulfilling all eight prophecies was one in 10 to the 17th power. So to illustrate how large of a number that is, it's a figure with 17 zeros behind it. The professor gave this illustration. He said, if you mark one out of 10, te- uh, out of 10 tickets, one in 10 tickets, and place all the tickets in a hat, and then you stir them up, and then you ask a blindfolded man to draw out one ticket, his chance of getting the right ticket is one in 10, right? But if we take 10 to the 17th power, we take that number with 17 zeros behind it, and we get that many silver dollars, silver coins, and lay them over the face of Texas, the state of Texas, which is huge, they would cover all of the state two feet deep. And then you have to mark one of those silver dollars, one of those coins with blue paint. You throw it in there, you get a giant mixer, you mix up all the coins over the state of Texas. You blindfold a man, fly him in on a helicopter, drop him in the middle of Texas and say, listen, you can walk wherever you want to, you can travel as far as you want blindfolded, but you can only pick one silver dollar, and the silver dollar that you pick up has to be the one with the blue paint on it. That's the chance of a man fulfilling just eight of the prophecies. So, from these figures, the professor concluded that the fulfillment of the eight prophecies alone proves that God inspired the writing of the prophecies. And this professor's name was Professor Peter Stoner, if you want to look him up and look up his work. The likelihood of it being just mere chance is only one in 10 to the 17th power. Another way of saying this is that any person who minimizes or ignores the significance of the biblical identifying signs concerning Jesus would be foolish. But what's crazy is there's more than just eight prophecies given about Jesus. In another calculation, the professor used 48 prophecies, even though he could have used between 351 and 456. He used 48 and arrived at the extremely conservative estimate that the probability of 48 prophecies being fulfilled in one person is the incredible number of one in 10 to the 157th power. So that number that contains 157 zeros behind it, to one. And the professor is quoted saying, any man who rejects Christ as the Son of God is rejecting a fact, proved perhaps more absolutely than any other fact in the world. There is so much historical evidence." number one, that Jesus existed, and number two, that he was who he said he was. And when you really think about it, his disciples, his followers, let's just say for a second that Jesus actually died. He didn't raise from the dead. They stationed Roman guards outside of the tomb thinking, hey, the the disciples are going to show up, they're going to take away Jesus' body, and then they're going to be like, wow, he was magic. They stationed the soldiers outside of the tomb. Those soldiers were trained. These guys were punished severely if they fell asleep on the job. These were like Navy SEALs guarding the body of Jesus. Secondly, these disciples died horrible deaths, excruciating deaths. Are you, gonna, are, are you going to die for a man who lied to you, who wasn't actually who he said he was? No, you're not. That's the extent of how much they believed. They saw Jesus alive. They saw him along with an entire crowd of people. They saw him ascend into heaven. This is why the story of Christmas is so important. It actually happened. It was real. Jesus is real and his love for you is real. He came and he died to take away your sin And he doesn't ask for anything in return. He doesn't make you do something in order to receive his forgiveness. It's already there for you. All you have to do is accept that free gift of forgiveness that he offers you and then love him, follow him. That's all there is to it. He loves you. And if anyone out there that's listening that maybe you've questioned, is this even real? Does God even love me? Did Jesus actually exist? Yes, he loves you so much. And he existed solely to save you so that you could be in paradise with your father, God, who loves you. So as we go into celebrating this Christmas season together, think on those things. Be thankful that the God of the universe came to save you. I pray that all of you have an amazing Christmas, that you have amazing encounters with God, and that anyone who's listening who hasn't made that decision to give their life to Jesus, I pray that you would. It's the best decision that you will ever make. And if any of this has interested you, Go and do your own research. Go look at the prophecies. Go take a look. Read it. I dare you. It's there. It's just waiting for you to go and read it. Jesus loves you. Have a great Christmas. We'll see you next time.